Amen. Amen. A powerful thing to be able to declare indeed. Jesus is the very air that we breathe. We pray that that would become more and more true in our hearts as we continue to walk with Him and learn and understand the power of His Spirit in our lives and all that that means. As we begin uh, the study of God's Word today, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21 and look at the things that God has in store for us here. It's a heavy place there, okay? It's going to be great. We're going to have fun. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is awesome. That's a great word, isn't it? That'd be fun to say, and he doesn't want us to say it. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Again, we see, as we did last week, that even in our worship, that as God is speaking to us and these things are working themselves out, that it's even in our worship that our hearts are revealed. And that even in our worship, we cannot carry the burden of these sins in our hearts. And God desires for us to be truly set This morning we're going to be continuing our journey that we've been walking through all summer long through the seven deadly sins in our series exploring what it means to be set free, to be people of peace and life, desiring and pursuing this new life, this abundant life that Jesus described for us, that He desires us to have, bringing His presence into our world and into the lives of the people around us. Our theme verse for this series, as it is on the slide there, is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And it's this really cool passage that invites us into the depth of relationship that God desires for us to understand, to turn from our sins and find forgiveness and healing, to be restored and renewed, living in blessing and the abundance of His presence. It says this, Acts 3, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that our sins may be wiped out out. What strong language he's using here. And that word refreshing paints this amazing picture of the kindness and grace of Jesus. The feeling of connection to him stepping into light out of darkness. Feeling the warmth of the sun as we come out of a place of loneliness and isolation and separation into relationship. 
One of the lesser known works of C.S. Lewis, some of you might have read it before, is called The Great Divorce. It's one of my very favorite books. And it's not about marriage necessarily, but rather about letting go and leaving behind our old self and the things that hold us back as we step into new life with Jesus. And it's this very interesting story. It's written as a story uh, that explores God's call for us to let go of our sin nature and the things of this world. What it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, life in the Spirit. And in the book, the main character begins by finding himself in a dark and shadowy place that might be hell, might even be just life here on earth in a sinful place outside of relationship with God. And if you know C.S. Lewis, you know what he's trying to say with some of those things. And as he wanders in that place, he finds a bus station. And he boards this bus and it takes him to another place, a kind of heaven or maybe purgatory. And we're not getting into all the theology of all that. He's, it's a metaphor. He's painting a picture. But it goes to this place where God's presence is there. And it's a beautiful place, a spiritual place. And he steps off the bus into this beautiful meadow. Bright, beautiful, lush green grass and trees and flowers. And this brook is flowing nearby. Warm sun. It's this amazing place describing the presence of God, living in God's presence to us. But as he steps off the bus, he finds this painful reality. He finds, as he steps onto the grass, that it's not soft and comfortable and warm. But it feels like knives on his feet. That the blades of grass won't bend under his feet. And he tiptoes his way across this painful grass to the brook to try to get a drink. And he finds he can't break the sur surface of the water. He sees it's flowing, but it's, it's like hard as ice to him. As the story progresses and he spends time in this place and he learns about yielding his heart to his creator, the world begins to become softer and more inviting to him. The grass starts to bend under his feet and the water starts to become soft and he can drink and enjoy the refreshing water. It's all painting this amazing picture for us of the reality of spiritual things. That in a sense, God is so much more real than the things we experience here. And it's the sins that we cling to and they hold us back from enjoying all the amazing blessing in life and refreshing that He desires us to know in relationship with Himself. That as we hold on to those things and allow our hearts to be hard, that we don't get to enjoy the beautiful presence of God. And as we submit and humble ourselves and yield to Him, all of a sudden we start to enjoy this beautiful presence of God in more amazing ways. It's an amazing book, and I found it very, very challenging and encouraging, and it's, it's what we're trying to see and understand in this series. What these times of refreshing that Peter describes for us in the book of Acts here, he's trying to see in what, we're, what he's talking about. 
experience that God is inviting us to know in Him? Do you need that refreshing in your life? Where are we tired and worn down, feeling burdened and heavy and hurting? How are we allowing these sins that we've been talking about to control you and seep into your life and burden you again? God desires refreshing for you. To live in that place of fullness and wholeness and peace and joy with Him. And it begins with repentance and relationship and allowing the Spirit to work in our lives and put us on the path that Jesus walks. So we've looked at these different ways that we cling to our sin, that sin creeps into our hearts. And as we've said the whole way along, that there really is only one sin, rebellion against God and rejecting His place as the Lord of our lives, but it works itself out in these different ways. And this list helps us to see those different ways that we can fall into sin, and we're each vulnerable to different parts of these in different ways. He's made us differently in our nature and personalities. Some of these are harder for us than others. We need to understand the ways that we can get sucked in, that we can try to cling to that control. And so we've looked at greed and gluttony and lust and sloth. And last week we looked at envy. Each one speaking to different parts of our hearts, different things that we hunger for and fear. Different ways we try to fill God's place in our lives with our own efforts. One of the interesting parts of this journey, and again, we've said that all these are are different, and yet they're all the same, is that they overlap each other, and they inform one another, that it's all selfishness, and arrogance, and rebellion, and pride. Taking the place of God for ourselves, and trying to bend the world to our will, instead of submitting to His. So now we come to the next one on this list, and in some ways, it's a sin in response to these other sins. When things don't work out the way we want, when we don't find the fulfillment we need in these other places of sin, when greed and gluttony and lust and the others don't make the world the way we were hoping, and don't make our lives look the way we think is should we come to the sin of wrath. Now wrath, like all these other words, is a huge word that means a lot of different things, just like each of these others. And like the others, wrath works itself out in lots of different ways in our hearts and in our world. Words like anger, violence, jealousy, revenge, rage, bitterness are all different parts and pieces of this word wrath, different ways we feel that anger and hatred that wrath describes. But wrath is also a unique word on this list. Because in the Bible, the word wrath is applied to God. 
greed, gluttony, lust, none of the rest of these are applied to God, because of course not, but wrath is. God's wrath is something that Scripture talks about. Deuteronomy chapter 9, at Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that He was angry enough to destroy you. Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Colossians 3, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. What is happening here? How can wrath be a sin if it's something that God shows? And even these other words we've used, revenge, jealousy, are used by God and in His Word to describe what He is doing as well. Ezekiel 25, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them. Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Exodus 34, the Lord is a jealous God. What do we do with this? Like we know it's not the same. Somehow his wrath and our wrath. His jealousy and our jealousy. But these are words we understand as wrong and bad feelings for, and behaviors for us to have. And here they're used to by God to describe what he is doing. And it leads us to a fascinating part of this whole study that we've been walking through, that all of these sins that we've looked at aren't just bad things in themselves, but are actually corruptions of good things. Sex is good, but lust is selfish. Fulfillment is good, but gluttony is selfish. Work, producing value, Creating, working together is good, but greed is selfish. Satan doesn't know how to create new things. He can only tempt us into corruption of what God has made that is good. And wrath is the same. God's wrath is good because He is holy and perfect. And his wrath brings justice and correction and restoration. His anger is just and good because he is worthy of worship and desires restoration. His jealousy is good because he is the only thing worthy of our devotion. And we are created for himself. And all things are meant to bring him glory. His vengeance is good because he is just and he is making things right. Amen. And so the fact that we feel these things too is a reflection of His image placed in us. We too can see injustice. We too can see evil and brokenness. Not usually in ourselves as easily as we see it in other people, right? We see that really easily. Our own is, you know, not as big a deal. But we can see it. We know when things aren't right And it should make us angry. It made Jesus angry. He flipped tables in the temple courts because of the injustice and corruption of worship that he saw. 
He became angry with the Pharisees, called them a brood of vipers when he saw their hypocrisy and their selfishness and the way they were hurting people. He even rebuked Peter very strongly. It doesn't say he was angry necessarily, but it feels pretty angry. Uh, when Peter tried to draw Jesus off the path that he had been called to walk. And we can feel these things too. But the problem is, as it is with all these other things we've been talking about, the wrath we feel is broken. Because the wrath we feel is selfish. And it's not focused on the glory of God, but on ourselves. On our own glory. Our wrath is born out of that envy and that greed. It's based on things aren't right for me. I didn't get what I want. It's born out of a jealousy and a fear and a desire to control instead of a desire to worship. It is jealousy rooted in ourselves, our own ego, our own identity, not in God's glory. And James reveals this for us in his letter to, uh, to the people, to the churches, when he says in James chapter 1, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We remember that part, but he goes on. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Our anger is not the same as God's anger. Our wrath is not the same as God's wrath. Our jealousy, our hunger for vengeance is not born out of God's justice and worthiness and holiness. But it's born out of our selfish hunger for control. And we will not find peace, we will not find righteousness in our wrath. And God understands this well. He created us in His image and placed a heart for justice, a heart for worship, a heart to reflect His glory in ourselves. But He saw what our sin has done to us and He sees how our wrath and our anger doesn't bring His presence but poisons us instead. And so He speaks about our wrath a lot. And warns us over and over again in Scripture to be watchful, to guard our hearts against the destruction that our sinful wrath can bring. Proverbs 29, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Again in Proverbs 29, a man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Psalm 37, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, and do not fret. It only leads to evil. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander as, as well as every form of malice. Colossians 3, but now you must put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Proverbs 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 16, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than one who can conquer a city. Proverbs 19, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. God knows our hearts. He knows our wrath doesn't bring life. It isn't born out of worship and holiness. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul describes for us what life in the Spirit is supposed to be. And he tells us about life in the flesh. Life in our sinful nature. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many in that list are just aspects of wrath? Eight out of 15, over half, describe wrath. What's God trying to help us see? What's a big part of our hearts? But he goes on, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And again, over half that list, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control, speak directly against wrath. And indeed, that whole list, really all of it. These are the fruit of the life in the Spirit that we should know. That we are people of peace. That we are people of love. That we are people of, of gentleness, of kindness, of joy. That's what God desires to build in us. That is what life with Him should look like, not anger and frustration and bitterness and tension. Do we bring peace? Or are these the th things we bring into the lives of others? How would people describe you? Okay, but what about injustice then? It's still there. The world is still a horribly broken place. There is true evil in the world. When children are abused, when people are exploited and hurt, how can we not be angry? And we will feel those things. God knows that. He put it in us to see that injustice. We are going to feel angry, but we have to bring those things to God in prayer. Because the battle is not 
here. It's not against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the rulers, authorities of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our anger against these things will only bring us to hate people, not sin. People that God loves, even in their sin, even in the deepest evil, God still loves those people. And our wrath will twist that and we'll miss that and we will hate people. He loves them so much that he died for them, just like he died for you. The same. And we are no more worthy of his love than they are. We cannot show them and teach them power of the gospel over their sin too, like we know, if we let anger lead. Instead of submitting it to our Father, we will try to bring our justice, try to fix things in our own strength, and wind up just bringing more violence. Instead of letting God work to bring His justice, His vengeance, His correction, His restoration, His peace here on earth and for all eternity. It's a hard and a heavy thing to trust God to make things right, especially when we don't feel like He's doing it right. He's not moving fast enough. He's not fixing what we think He should fix. When we see so many things wrong. But we have to trust that He loves these people, each and every one, so much more than we do. Every child, every person, his heart for justice is so much stronger than we can imagine. His holiness is so powerful and his justice to restore those things is deeper than we can know. And in the end, his promise is that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen and amen. He is working. So let us be people that bring God's peace in a radical, dangerous, impossible way because God is more and we trust Him even if we don't understand. Lay your wrath at the feet of our Father, your anger, your hurt, your bitterness, your fear, your jealousy, your thirst for revenge. Let Him set you free and bring refreshing. Let Him fill you with the fruit of the Spirit that we can be people that bring peace to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray together. Father God, this is a heavy one because we feel these things very deeply, very strongly. God, when we see the injustice in the world, it's not even just in the foolish, selfish places that we get angry when someone cuts us off or something silly happens. But God, we see true evil. We see children being hurt, people being hurt. And God, you have placed in us a hunger, a heart for holiness and righteousness. And as we submit to you, God, we see those things clearly, but God, our wrath is broken.
Our anger is selfish and small. We are trying to make things right in our own lives and our own understanding of the world. And God, you are doing things far beyond. You are working to bring all glory to yourself. And we need to trust you. Father, help us to trust you. Come, Lord Jesus, it's taking a long time and we don't understand why you're allowing all the things that you do, but God, it is because it is better and your glory is greater for it. And so, God, we help us to trust you. We submit to you. We bow before you and we lay our wrath, our heart for justice at your feet and we desire your justice, your hope, your peace in the world. Father, help us to be people of peace. That whatever room we walk into, whatever situation we walk into, whatever relationship we walk into, God, that we will be people that bring peace, people that bring hope, people that bring the gospel, people that bring Jesus into those places, that you can work, you can move, you can bring transformation, healing, forgiveness, and new life. Father, forgive us for the places we have taken that wrath ourselves and tried to bring our own justice. We submit, we ask your forgiveness, we ask that you would move and use us for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.